is coming a day when no heartache shall come no more clouds in the sky no more tears to dim the eye all is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore what a day glorious day that will be what a day that will be when my jesus i shall see and i look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land what a day glorious day that will be there'll be no sorrow there no more burdens to bear no more sickness no pain no more parting over there and forever i will be with the one who died for me what a day glorious day that will be what a day that will be when my jesus i shall see and i look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land what a day glorious day that will be what a day that will be when my jesus i shall see and i look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land what a day glorious day that will be what a day glorious day that will be Let's go ahead and take our Bibles, turn over to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 16, Psalms chapter 16, Psalms chapter 16. I had a few jokes handed to me just a moment ago, I think I'll read one or two of them. What do you call humming, why do hummingbirds hum? Because they can never remember, remember the words. <laughs> it says, what do you call a clam that, uh, that blends in with its surroundings? Clamouflaged. That's pretty good, isn't it? What happens when you throw a yellow rock into the blue sea? It sinks. That's just a couple of them. I can't read them all. There's a bunch of them. I'm glad I was given those because now I have some fodder for the singles and maybe even for VBS. Who knows? We'll see. All right, again, chapter 16, the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 16. 
Let's go ahead and read that chapter. I'll read it aloud. You read it silently with me if you would. It's not nearly as long as it may sound. Chapters seem like they'd be long, but this is only 11 verses, not too long at all. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a godly, a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt shew me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now, David's life is probably, you've heard if, you've studied at all the Word of God, was in danger on a continual, constant basis. He was in the midst of a storm for years as he fled from King Saul. King Saul, of course, being the king at the time, jealous of David, who would ultimately rule and reign on the throne. He was threatened by him and, as a result, chased him down, sought to kill him, and ultimately put away any chance of him succeeding him. However, there were a few times when the danger wasn't quite as bad, when it wasn't as notable. And those couple of times, for sure, were when David deliberately chose not to hurt or to harm King Saul, when he literally could have taken his life, but instead chose not to take his life. And then King Saul called off the hunt, if you will. He ceased pursuing David for a period of time. And David experienced some peace for just a short period of time. Although David still was considered an outlaw, he still was cut off from his family and his inheritance in the land. He still was unable to worship and involve himself in the religious life of the nation. But at least he was not being pursued or in direct danger as he had been before. There were a couple of times that this took place that David had this opportunity, this reprieve, this R&R, if you will, from the dangers of literally dying at any moment. And it is in that setting that Psalm chapter 16 is written, or believed to have been written. In one of those times when he was not necessarily being viciously pursued by Saul, where he was finding some sense of reprieve or rest. Now, as we look at Psalm chapter 16, we can't possibly look at this particular chapter without recognizing that it has something to do with the Messiah himself or with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, as you consider the passage there, it says, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Well, this is a prophetical verse as well. It points to Jesus Christ. It, it prophetically deals with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we know this because over in the book of Acts chapter 2, Peter addresses it and uses this particular portion from Psalms and repeats it again. And then also we see that 
Paul himself repeats this passage from Psalm 16 over in the book of, of, of Acts chapter 13. So it points us, we go all the way back to David, chapter 16 of Psalm, and we see it being res, uh, again spoken of and you know, restated in chapter 2 and chapter 13 of Acts, again, pointing and reflecting and dealing with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Psalms chapter 16 is a prophetic chapter. But this morning, I want to consider the passage in light of David's plight, his circumstances, maybe even from his perspective somewhat. What can we learn from this godly man that will ultimately equip us and encourage us for the journey that we face in this life? Because every single last one of us face enemies and every one of us face problems and every one of us could talk about how there's hurts and heartaches in our life and there are obstacles in which to overcome. But may I say, there is no doubt in this room today as we look back in the Word of God to a time when King Saul ruled and reigned on the throne and David was being pursued and hunted by him that David knew something about hard times, difficult times, struggles, hurt, heartache, and trials and tribulation. So what can we learn from him then? Because we're all going to face them. We all are going to deal with that. How should we approach them? And what can we learn from this godly man? So how can we as godly men and women respond? And how should we respond? Well, let's go ahead and take a look at it as we consider a message that simply entitled The Godly Man or Woman. And we'll look at chapter 16 and see what we can't glean from the Word of God and from the experience that David uh, found himself in. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Thank you, Father, for just the privilege that it is to once again stand behind this sacred desk and proclaim the Word of God. Thank you for these that have gathered with the express purpose of hearing and being helped from heaven. God, we live in a world that, Father, is quick to tell us that we are headed the wrong direction and that we're wasting our time worshiping you. Father, help us to not be discouraged but instead to, Father, be ever more certain, grounded, convinced that, Father, you are the way, the truth, and the life, that you not only exist, but that, Father, you extend a hand of blessing to each and every one of us that will continue to obey and follow you. Bless us now in these short moments that we have together. Holy Spirit of God, speak, work, and move in each life. Lord, we'll give you the glory for what will be accomplished in Christ's name. Amen. So we note the godly man or woman today. And from the passage, we note the godly man or woman's practice. Look in chapter 16 again, beginning in verses 1 and 2. We're going to see that David, again, as our example here, is living in the Lord's presence. And that's exactly what you and I as a man or woman of God needs to do in the world in which we live. We must live in the Lord's presence. In verse 1 and 2 of our passage again, he says, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast sent unto my Lord, uh, uh, unto the Lord. Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee. He said, Thou art my Lord. It's interesting in the particular passage that we're looking at, in those two short little verses, he uses three words. There's three words that he uses to to name God, if you will. First of all, he uses God, the word God itself. Now, that word God is really derived from a word called El in the Hebrew. El is an abbreviation for the name Elohim, which is God the Creator. 
it, it, it recognizes God as the omnipotent, the all-powerful one. L stands for God in all his strength and in all his might. And David here uses that term, God, to point to him. Notice he also uses the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is the word that is expressed or, or speaks of Jehovah. And that is Jehovah, the God of covenant. The fact is, is that God lowered himself, that God took a step down, if you will, in order to enter into a saving contract with you and I. The fact is, is that he owed us nothing, but God who is holy and perfect and righteous stepped down, if you will, onto earth already, we know, and lived a sinless, perfect life to die on Calvary, to provide us a payment for sin. But the fact is, is that even that he extends salvation to us at all is, is only made possible because he was willing to step down. You don't deserve it, and neither do I. But thank God he is the Lord of covenant, the God of covenant. But not only that, but David also uses not only the word God to describe him, capital L-O-R-D to describe him, but also he uses the word Lord again, but this time capital L, small o-r-d. That word is Adonai. That word expresses the word Adonai, which means Lord or my Lord. We might render that meaning sovereign Lord, that he is, he's my king. And so what we have here is if we take those together and we look at them, we might say that L is God my maker, that Jehovah is God my mediator, and Adonai is God my master. And we see that David recognizes the presence of God in his life regularly. He practices the presence of God. He ensures he spends time with his God, who is his maker, his mediator, and his master. So the godly man or woman lives in the very presence of the Lord. That's their practice. The godly man or woman wakes with him in the morning and they go to sleep with him near every night. The godly man is never alone. The godly woman is never alone because God is there in all his power as maker, mediator, and master. So we see the godly man or woman, according to the passage in David again, recognizing this aspect of God's presence, living in the presence of God. But not only that, but we notice that David was living for the Lord's people. He's living for the Lord's people. In verse 3, we simply read, But to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. So thou art my Lord, my goodness extended not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. David was living in the Lord's presence, but he was also living for the Lord's people. He, he sought to be a blessing to each and every person he possibly could be within the house of Israel. He wanted to meet their needs. He delighted in them, the Bible says. Let me ask you something. Are the people of God your delight today? I mean, are they your delight? One of the first marks of a born-again believer, one of the first marks of coming to Jesus Christ is that there is an element of loving the brethren. Over in the book of 1 John 3, 14, the Bible says, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Yes. Mr. how are you doing with that? See, the godly man or the godly woman is, is living in the presence of the Lord, living in the presence of God. 
but also they're living for the Lord's people. They love God's people. That's what they practice. And you know, love without practice isn't very isn't worth a whole lot, is it? I mean, talk is cheap. We can say we love, but then if we fail to act on that love, then we've really, by all rights, can come into question as to whether or not we love at all. So we see living in the Lord's presence. They're going to practice that. Living in... Uh, uh, for the Lord's people. And finally, David's living by the Lord's precepts. Look at verse 4. It says, Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer or take, or, nor take up their names into my lips. He said, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, I want nothing to do with idolatry, David's saying. Nothing at all. He knew about idolatry. I mean, he had been down to Gath. He had seen Dagon. You know Dagon, that half-man, half-fish god of the Philistines? He had seen all that mess. I mean, he knew what it was to, to uh, uh, worship Chamash. He had noted that. You know, the Moab god, that bloodthirsty god. <coughs> he saw the people worshiping idols. He had been around it. He also had enough going that he recognized the history of Israel. And he remembers those times and being told of those times and reading about those times in the book of Judges when God's people turned from God and turned to idols. He knew something about idolatry. And he said, listen, I want nothing at all to do with idolatry. Nothing. Say, David, you're in a mess. David, your, your life is wrecked in ruin. And finally, you come to a place where you might be in somewhat of a reprieve, but still, you still can't worship with God's people, and you still can't go back to your land, and your parents are still fugitives as well. But David, how are you dealing with that? How are you handling that? Well, I'm a godly man, and the fact is I practice some things, and one of the things I, a couple of the things I practice is the Lord's presence. I make sure I get in His presence each and every day. I make sure I dwell in His presence all the time. Not only that, but I'm... Seriously living for the Lord's people. I'm giving my very best to be a blessing and a help to God's people. I love God's people and they're a blessing to me and I want to be a blessing to them. And not only that, but I am going to live by the Lord's precepts. I'm not going to wander into this world and I'm not going to live for the devil and I'm not going to give myself to sin. I'm going to serve Jesus Christ and live for God and obey His word. The godly man or woman's practice. But also then, we notice the godly man or woman's portion. And I like this. Chapter 16 again, verse 5. Notice his portion or her portion in the, land, in the Lord themselves. In the Lord. Look at what he says in verse 5. The Lord is the, is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance. Now... Again, David was denied his rightful share of the family inheritance. Remember that each time every family, when they entered into the promised land, was given a parcel or a portion of land, every line, if you will, every tribe. Well, in this particular case, you know, David's inheritance, just like everyone else's, would have been passed down from generation to generation to generation. His share was some farms and fields and in the particular place of Bethlehem. That's where his family dwelt. That's where their portion, his portion was. But unfortunately, he was denied that opportunity. 
He could not work the land. He could not dwell there with his family. He was on the run being chased by a, a, a maniacal king. Even his own parents, as we mentioned, were fugitives in Moab. But still David wasn't shaken in the least. You see, I can't imagine dealing with the fact that I'm being hunted down, that my family's not safe, that my parents could be killed at any time. I can't believe that they were run out of their home, their city, their land. It was rightfully theirs. They had no right, Saul had no right to do that. You're correct. And yet David did not, did not get bitter. David was not angry at God. Instead, David said, never mind. I have a better inheritance. I have the Lord. And may I say to you today that whether you are stripped of lands, whether you're stripped of finances, whether you're stripped of family, whether you're stripped of friends, I want you to know that as a believer, you have a portion in the Lord. And He is enough. And sadly, we don't believe that today. We allow the world to lay on our shoulders and we think somehow I have to have a house and I have to have cars and I have to have land and I have to have money and I have to have this and I have to have that or I can't possibly be content. I can't possibly be happy. Wait, let us look back at David's life for a moment, please. Let us remember that he is on the run. Let us remember he doesn't have a place to lay his head. Let's remember that he's lying in forests and in caves trying to dodge the enemy. But may I say David never gave up on God. Instead, he said, the Lord is enough. He is my portion. Who's your portion or what's your portion today? If you lose your job today, will you fall apart? Will you give up on God? If you lose a spouse, will you just tell God, I hate you. You took the thing I love the most. There's the real problem, isn't it? What we really love comes to the surface, unfortunately, in the midst of these circumstances. God, help us to continue to love Him, to understand that He is enough. There's a wonderful story about King George VI of England. He was a born-again believer who, before he ascended to the throne, he visited a small brethren assembly in London, and he enjoyed weekly Bible readings. After he became king, unfortunately, he discontinued this practice, but he still remained a devout believer in the Lord Jesus. He still practiced in his own he just found himself unable to go public with things because of his position and in that day and time. Of course, one of the duties of King George VI was to be a dignitary to other nations from time to time. He would make trips. And one time he came to Canada and um, they took him to British Columbia. It was thought that the Canadian officials, uh, or it, was, it was thought by the Canadian officials that King George might like to meet a, a native-born Indian chief. And so they arranged it. The one they chose was a well-known and influential Indian known by the name of Chief Whitefeather. Chief Whitefeather was told to sing something for the king and needless to say the officials supposed that he would sing some kind of native war song. But the chief was a Christian. <laughs> he had something else in mind. And you can only imagine or picture the surprise of these officials who had chosen chief to, to, to sing this song when he began to sing this song instead. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. 
I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Man, the officials were stunned and they just kind of sat back and watched as, and to, to, to see what King George VI was going to do. I mean, come on, rather than to be a king of a vast domain, it kind of seems like a hit below the belt. But they didn't have long to wait. The king went right over to Chief White Feather. He took him by the hand and he said, I'd rather have Jesus too. Isn't that good? I'd rather have Jesus too. And you know, that's exactly what David's saying. The Lord is my portion. And may I say, you have a portion today. You have a portion. And the Lord is that portion. And may I say that He is more than enough. But not only that, we see His portion not only in the Lord, but we see His portion in the land in verse 6. Chapter 16, the lines are fallen unto mine, unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. <laughs> Think about what he's saying there. Again, here is a man that's on the run, a man that has no place to lay his head, a man who has to sleep in caves and, and, and in forests, uses the moss as a pillow. And this guy can turn around and say, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. The lines of what? Heritage. Remember, they drew lines for the people of God as they entered into Canaan again. Boy, he's saying, those lines are pleasant lines that I have. I have a goodly heritage. I just can't imagine David, a fugitive on the run, writing such a thing, can you? David, who had no home. David, who had no real life in his hometown or with his family. But David could never, nor would he ever allow himself to forget something. He never forgot that years ago, a man by the name of Samuel, the prophet, visited him and anointed him to be king over all Israel. And that was a promise God made to David. And David, it didn't matter what was going on around him. It didn't matter how horrible and how difficult the circumstances were. He could look back and say, I know that it isn't just Bethlehem or that little farm there in Bethlehem that is my portion, that isn't all there is. Man, I'm telling you, I am the king of every hill and every valley here. Amen. Amen. In all Israel, I am king. Now listen, he saw things by faith. He looked into the future. He allowed himself not to view the world from a fleshly perspective. He had a portion in the land. And he saw that portion. And the same can be said of you and I who are the offspring of God. Boy, I'll tell you what, this world may not be very satisfactory or very compliant or happy or, or conducive to you and I today. They may not receive us with open arms, but may I say today that we are king. We are, we are going to rule and reign with the King Jesus Christ. Second Timothy 2.12, the Bible says, If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. 
We deny him. He will also de he will deny us. But again, he says, we're going to reign with him. You're going to reign with him? Are you his child? Do you know him? Is he yours? Are you his? Man, what a portion. What a portion. The godly man or woman's portion is in the Lord, but also in the land. That's what David teaches us. David again. We look at David and we say, well, what's the godly man or woman's prospects? Well, David, of course, didn't have a whole lot to look forward to when he woke up in the morning in the one sense. I mean, if really, if success in the world's eyes is what David was searching for, he'd have been a miserable man indeed every single day of his life until he ascended to the throne. But may I say, if he would not have found a way to find hope and joy and peace in the Lord early on, he'd have never arose to that or ascended to that place. God knew his heart. And by the way, when, God, when a heart is right with God, a heart, a life is right with God, I should say. When a heart is right, a life is right. And David's life was lining up. His attitude and his actions were lining up with his heart. The godly man or woman's prospects. Again, David's prospects were twofold, we could say, both in this life and in the life to come. He had tremendous prospects. You say, what you, how is that possible? Well, see, the godly man, the godly woman, they have the best of both worlds. We have the best of both worlds here. We don't just get one or the other. We don't have to pick or choose. We get both. And in this particular case, David had three things in his life that the unsaved person does not have. Notice what he had, verse 7. In verse 7 it says, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. He goes on to say even, My reins also instruct me in the night season. He was guided by God. You and I can know what it is to be guided by God. You can, you can know what it means to get His leadership. He can give you the steps to take. He can tell you where to turn and when to turn and how to turn. So I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. You know, nearly all the guidelines and all the moral standards that once existed in our country are pretty much gone, it seems. I mean, let's just be honest. It's just a totally upside-down world. If you live, were born... 50 to 75 years ago, you look at the, the culture and the society today and you think, this is, there's so little about what's going on today that is like it used to be. I mean, I was talking to a gentleman just the other day at, at one of the uh, uh, teens uh, had a, a, a party for their graduation and I was talking to an older gentleman and I was talking to him about just business and things and, 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 and he told me about some of the things that he had entered into and some of the things he had accomplished and some of the things that God had helped him to do through the years and, and I, at one point I said, it's interesting, isn't it? You'd go to the bank and you'd just say, hey, it'll be taken care of. He was telling me about his dad and how he owed money to the bank for some farming equipment, and, and he'd just go and say, hey, here's, you want me, where, where do you want me to pull all my tractors for, for, for the winter because I can't make any money in the winter, so they're yours for the winter. <laughs> they said, just come back in the spring when you got something. You know what that was? That was, hey, we're going to pay it back. A handshake. That was a handshake. You, you know what? You, you, you're never going to enter into a, get any money from a bank on a handshake. You're never going to get anybody to trust you on a handshake anymore. It ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. But see, 
50, 75 years ago it did. Things have changed in our world. And again, the moral standards changed. And, and just overall, the, the old restraints are no longer in place. And the fact is today is because of that, people are frightened today. They're confused. They're lonely. They're at their wit's end. It's interesting as you look over the world today, people run to professional counselors for help like never before in history. It's a, it's a multi-billion dollar business today. I mean, we turn to the dark side and we dabble with the occult in order to remove the fear of the future and alleviate the anxiety and stress that we feel. People are turning today to Eastern religions, hoping to find answers there, but it's all in vain. There are no answers. He is the answer. He's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. See, we have the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know what it is to be guided by God. And if you as a believer don't know what that means, you've not experienced that guidance that God can give you, then that's because you have chosen not to allow Him to guide. But the reality is is He is a guide to you and a guide to me. We have that privilege in this life. And David knew what it was to be guided by God. How could you handle all that mess, David? How could you deal with that? How could you put up with that? Well, because I had a prospect in this life. I I had some hope in this life because I'm guided by God. Not only that, but he was guarded by God. And we can know that we're guarded by God. Verse 8, he says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. That's pretty good, isn't it? Guarded by God. And someone says, well, bad things happen to good people. They do. But I'm going to tell you, he's still at your right hand. You can't even imagine what it would be like without him. You think it's bad with him. I can't even imagine what it would be like without him. You know, we always like to look at things from the negative side. How's come God let me stub my toe last night? Well, he could have broke your toe. And how's come he let me break my toe? Well, be glad it's only a toe. It could have been an ankle. You get where I'm going with this? I mean, it could always be worse in a sense, but we never look at the idea that God spared me from maybe something even worse. Yes, sir. Hey, we are guided by God. We are we're guarded by God. That's what David's saying. Not only that, in verse 9, he says, I'm gladdened by God. I'm made glad by Him. Look at verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Man, the godly man or woman can know that their life, that in this life they can be glad in the Lord, experience joy and gladness. Come what may, we can lift our voice up in song. We can rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ in this life. Some of the most joy-filled people I've ever met in my life could not sit in the chair that you're sitting in today because of their health. They were in so much pain, they couldn't even function normally. And yet they have great faith, joy, and peace in God. How's that possible? Is it their perspective that's skewed? Are they the ones that are broken? Or are we? Are they just simply out of their mind? Or are we in the flesh? And not operating in the spirit. Guided, guarded, gladdened. David said, man, I have good reason to rejoice. I have a good reason to sing the praises of my God. I have tremendous prospect in this life. 
they say, David, but your homeland, you're not even home. David, your parents are in Moab trying to avoid being killed. And David, you have now, you at some point gathered all your family together and you literally have to defend them from the enemy on a constant, continual basis. You have nowhere to lay your head. You have no hope for the future. You don't know if you'll even be alive tomorrow. David says, oh, <laughs> no, I am guided, I am guarded, and I am gladdened by the Lord, and I have great prospect. Wow. These are the things that God gives us for this life. Even if there's no, even if there was no life to come, even if there's no eternity to come, even if there's no heaven to look forward to, It'd be worth being a believer just to have the peace, the rest, and the joy that God gives here to His people. But not only did He have prospect in this life, but He had prospect in the life to come. Because we see there in verse 10 and 11 as we, we draw close to the end of the chapter, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. He says, man, I'll tell you what. There's a truth of the resurrection that I have to admit, I have to, I have to truly agree with. He says, Thou will not leave my soul in hell. He says, I know that there's a resurrection to come. David could see that in the future. David could, God gave him the, the, the spiritual awareness that there's more to life than just now, that there was a resurrection to come, and ultimately that there would be a rapture to come even in verse 11 when he says, Thou wilt shew my, me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Boy, David had this prospect of the life to come. He would rule and reign with Christ, but he would not be left here forever, that he would go in a grave, yes, but he'd come out alive, like Jesus Christ would ultimately 2,000 years ago. What's the ultimate prospect of the godly man or woman? Where does it all end? What is it really all about? Well, where's the Lord Jesus right now? He's at God's right hand. I mean, where are we going to be? At God's right hand. So where's fullness of joy, really? Where are those pleasures forevermore? At God's right hand. And David says, Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You know, we don't know exactly what heaven's going to be like. We're, not, we're just given little pieces and parts. But it's very hard and very difficult. There's no real concrete scriptures that really explain what the schedule will be like, so to speak. But we do know he'll be there. And that is enough. I'm going to say this, and I'm saying it not because I'm mad at anybody and not because I'm trying to... to, I understand what people say when they say these things, but I do want you to understand as a believer how it sounds. When our loved ones pass away, if we're not careful, we say things, uh, we, no, when we pass away, we say, when I pass away, I can't wait to see, I can't wait to see, I can't wait to see, and you know whose name I rarely hear from a believer? The Lord. I rarely hear that. And I'm not trying, I'm not trying to be critical, because I understand what people are saying. I, I Listen, I do. And I realize that they're, they're, they're focused and they're thinking, man, I'll get to see my husband finally and I'll get to see my, my child that passed on. I'll get to see my, my aunts and my uncles. I'll get to see my grandma and grandpa. I'll get to see... I understand that. 
But what about him? I mean, if he were more our portion in this life, wouldn't we probably be more apt to say, I'm going to get to see him face to face? You know where I'm going with this? And again, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to say that people are bad people if they've done that. I, I understand where they're going and I see how they could say, you know, I'm gonna, and, I, and I'm going to feel that way too. I'll, 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 maybe one day if the Lord allows me to live long enough, I'll, maybe I'll outlive my parents. I don't know. And if I do outlive my parents, I'll, I'll say, boy, I'll get to see my mama. I'll get to see my dad. I'll get to see my babies that, that are up there already. Uh, and I'll get to see this. And I'll get to see that. I, I understand that, okay? But you know what got David through the hard times? It was the Lord. The Lord did that for him. He recognized that it wasn't dad's counsel. It wasn't mom's nurturing, although they were appreciated and loved. It was God's portion. It was his guidance that made the difference. I mean, it was, it was God leading and directing. It was God that, that was there for him always. And the God that made him recognize there was something more to this life. He says, listen, I'm going to practice some things. The presence of God, he's there for me always. And I want to be in his presence daily consistently. I'm going to serve God's people and I'm going to obey God's word. And he says, and my portion is the Lord, (laughs) him. And it doesn't matter if I'm at the bottom of the food chain right now. He is more than enough for me. And my prospects, he says, (laughs) are out of this world. I mean, I am guided, guarded, and gladdened by him. And what don't I have? to be happy about, joy-filled about. And I'm going to rule and reign with him one day. And he's coming back, and I'm going to have a new body. It's going to be unbelievable. Who's your portion today? I mean, verse 16, verse 11 is what intrigued me by this, and I'm going to close this. Thou wilt shew me the path of life, In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That's what drew me to chapter 16 as I was reading this past week, early on this week. And that verse stuck in my mind. I couldn't get away from it. And I thought, what's going on here? How how is that? That is such an awesome verse to me. And I thought, man, in the midst of all the struggles we face and the trials we deal with in the midst of all the pressure and the stress that we deal with every day of our life. How is it that we, we can look and, wilt thou, you know, shew me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. There are times that maybe our joy is not as full as it ought to be. And I thought, I want fullness of joy. I want fullness of joy. I want fullness of joy. And he says, it's in my presence then, Mark. It's not going to be in a new job It's not going to be in a new sermon. It's not going to be in pastoring a different church. It's not going to be in getting on the mission field finally. It's not going to be in meeting and being able to pay your bills. It's not going to be in having that new house or that new car. That's not where fullness of joy is, Mark. The fullness of joy is in my presence and in me. And that's what David teaches us as well in his life. A man on the run, hunted by Saul the king. And yet, David, we see a godly man 
We note his practice, his portion, and his prospects. Vanny, I asked, what's your practice like today as a believer? What's your practice like? Are you reflecting your relationship with the Lord and how you live your life? What's your portion? What's most important to you? What gives you the greatest fullness of joy in your life? And what's your prospects? How's tomorrow look in your eyes? Just another day i got to somehow fight my way out of bed. I'll be lucky if I can even get out. I'm so depressed, so discouraged all the time, so disenchanted with life. As a believer, that shouldn't be the case at all. You have tremendous prospect. Can't imagine what it would be like if we were being hunted and killed for our faith. If simply just having a few difficult things in our life caused us to feel that way. God help us to be the men and women of God that we ought to be. To be godly men and women. Godly men and women today. Do you know Christ is your Savior? I hope you do. Because if you don't, you're missing out on the best relationship ever. Oh, listen, and, and every single person, probably anyone can go, well, I know somebody that was a Christian and they were a mess. I apologize for that. That's not how God intended it to be. Just because a man failed you, a woman failed you, I promise you, that doesn't mean God will. It'll be up to you what you do with Him. And I want to encourage you to come to Jesus Christ today and allow Him to be your portion. Allow Him to give you fullness of joy, both in this life and in the next. Because He is the only way, truth, and life.